Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 529 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 24th of January 2021 as I record this. So in today's show I am sharing a discussion between me and Orna Ross on our greatest failures, mistakes and setbacks on the author journey. This was first broadcast on the Ask Ally podcast in December, but I wanted to share it here to go out to you guys as it will hopefully help you to hear about how we have had so many epic fails. and how they've turned into the seeds of success. And we do both get pretty personal uh, in this area and also to hopefully help you avoid many of these mistakes and save you time and money on your author journey. And in the show notes, I have some pictures which are hilarious, like a picture uh, of me 20 years ago when I was doing a, running a scuba diving company in New Zealand with blonde hair. Yes, I did have bleach blonde hair for a while back there. So yes, we talk about some super super epic fails, common mistakes in the author industry. So that is coming up. In publishing news, an interesting blog post from Ilona Andrews, number one New York Times bestselling author of urban fantasy. If you're in urban fantasy, you're going to know Ilona Andrews, a really sort of top selling author and actually the pen name of a husband and wife writing team, which I didn't know until I looked at this blog post. Um, So in this article, they go through some of the reasons why they are choosing the hybrid publishing route over traditional deals. And it's really good because is, uh, I am not a New York Times number one. I mean, as in they got to number one on the New York Times list and they are they sell a lot of books for sure. And so they break down the maths behind why they're essentially self-publishing. So this is from the blog post, links in the show notes as ever. A traditional publisher gives us 25% of ebook receipts. That is, they give us 25% of their profits. A quick breakdown before all expenses and agents cut of 15%. Cover price, $4.99. So we're talking US dollars here. So US dollars, $4.99. Traditional royalty from that is 87 cents. Self-published royalty from that, $3.49. Uh, so they say if you basically if you traditional publish traditionally publish the publisher takes whatever we earn and keeps three quarters of it in perpetuity, which presumably means they've signed a contract for a life of copyright. In the past, going with the publisher made sense because there was really no printing and distribution model available to a self-published author. You were stuck. Similarly, you couldn't really do your own marketing. 2020 has shown us that already low print sales have cratered. Now we have Ingram Spark, which allows us to print and provide printed copies to independent stores. The huge burning question is, what will the publisher do for us that will be worth giving up three quarters of our money forever? A publisher would have to make a very compelling argument, and that argument can't just be, we will give you a big advance. Here is why the advance argument falls flat on its face. 
let's say we get an advance of $100,000 for a single book priced $4.99. And to be honest, that is really unlikely. I mean, presumably if you're a big enough seller, then that would be fine. But the six-figure advance is not that common uh, for a lot of authors. And if you don't believe me, go check out the hashtag hash publisher paid me. And that has a a lot of different uh, things on that. Right. But let's assume you get an advance of $100,000 for a book priced $4.99. The book sells 30,000 units in one year, which is, you know, that shows you that they sell quite a lot of books. Traditional traditional model, the publisher earns $3.49 off each copy, but pays us 25% or 87 cents, or that comes off the advance, for example. Self-publishing model, we get $3.49. Traditional 30,000 units will bring in $26,100, a little over a quarter of our advance. So you have to sell a lot more to earn out. Self-published, 30,000 units, the same 30,000 units will bring in $104,700. We have made as much as the advance given to us by the publisher without strings attached. Math is our friend. For this and other reasons, we are going to take the year off from traditional publishing. So it's a really interesting post and uh, I'll link in the show notes. You can go and read it. But that was that's it's always interesting to hear when traditionally published authors decide to go indie. And the main reason they're talking about here is is money, which is just interesting. <laughs> so I've, I talked about this in my thoughts for the year ahead and so have several other people, including Mark Coker in his predictions for 2021. A lot of traditionally published authors are going to see how things have changed in the last year with the pandemic and they are going to come over to indie. And especially with some of the mergers that are, are sort of, well, one of the, the big mergers happening with Simon & Schuster and PRH, but also as the pandemic continues to move reading and buying purchases, including print purchases online. So let us welcome our traditionally published friends and help them through the difficult initial part of the learning curve, because it's a very different mindset to be indie than it is to be traditionally published. So wherever you are on the journey, you probably know more than someone else, even if you've been listening to this show for a couple of weeks, uh, or if you've listened to any of the other self-publishing podcasts or read any books, or if you have one indie book, you know more than uh, a lot of people just coming into this. And remember, this is not a zero sum game. I hear some authors sort of worried about this potential influx, but that's just not how it works in my head. That's not the world I live in. I live in this abundant world where we are stronger together, that we are actually a self-sustaining industry. For every new author or every author coming in, they're going to buy far more books than they're ever going to write. So if everyone in the world became a writer and wrote books, then we would all sell a lot more books. (laughs) Like literally think about it. How many books have you written and how many books have you read? It's just easy math. (laughs) So yeah, I I really think we are stronger together. And so please welcome our traditionally published friends. And if people have questions, of course, my ebook, Successful Self-Publishing, is free and it's also in print and audio. So uh, you can always direct people toward that if uh, they have questions. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Also in publishing news, Wattpad has been bought by South Korean company Naver for $600 million, as reported by the new publishing standard. So online reading is a massive and lucrative business in Asia, but Western publishers struggle with the concept. To be honest, it's not just Western publishers. I don't read this kind this way. And this is a sort of serial reading 
not like the chapters that we do in the books that we do for ebook or print book. These are very much a sort of much more serial process. So the new publishing standard says, Wattpad has turned a platform for adolescent girls and wannabe writers, a pretty fair description of its early years, into a book publishing, film and TV operation while expanding online reading into niche multimedia apps like Tap and even having its own innovation factory, Wattpad Labs. And Naver has... Um, 72 million monthly users. Wattpad has 90 million monthly users. So together, it's, it is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, the founder, um, CEO Jun Koo Kim said, this is a big step towards us becoming a leading global multimedia entertainment company. Both Wattpad and Webtoon care most about helping creators tell their story their way. And both represent world leading collections of inspiring, imaginative storytelling IP. Yes, intellectual property. Remember, that is what we create. And so I find this absolutely fascinating. And I've been revisiting these idea of serial platforms like Wattpad, Radish, Serial Box, Tapas, um, Tap. Um, you know, these are reading platforms that are starting to produce revenue for authors. And as with any format, you need to see what works. You can't just take, I can't just take one of my books and chop it up and stick it on these platforms and expect to do well. I mean, you can do that practically, but I don't think it'll do well because the ones that do well are written in a certain way. So I would suggest if you're interested in this serial way of reading and writing that you start reading on these platforms and see what works, then take best practices and apply them. I've certainly found my writing has changed a lot since I am much more aware of how things work in audio. And I think probably the same thing would happen if you decided to go this serial route. The more you're aware of how the consumer feels, the more you can direct things towards making it the best experience for them. And you can't do everything. Like, you know, I'm focusing on audio as one of my primary things. And if you decide to focus on serial, then then awesome. Uh, it's it's not something I can I can get into. I've way too much going on. But I do think this is fascinating. Good news, as Jane Friedman reports in the hot sheet that US publishing has had its best year in a decade, according to NPD Bookscan and Overdrive. US print book sales increased 8.2%, the best year since 2010, and all categories saw growth, with children's books doing particularly well. Digital lending is also up, with Overdrive reporting 33% growth for digital books loaned out through libraries and schools. And remember, you can reach libraries with your ebooks through Drafter Digital, Smashwords, and Publish Drive, and you can reach reach libraries with your audiobooks through Findaway Voices, which is very exciting. I love having ebooks and audiobooks in libraries as libraries are just brilliant. So I did also want to talk about this because I certainly, 2020 was a good year for me financially. And as I hear from many indie authors uh, through personal conversations and stats like this, Book sales have been really good. I mean, we had that moment when we thought the apocalypse had arrived back in March uh, 2020. But then a lot of people have done very well. And I was talking to an author friend about the edge of guilt that some of us are feeling. And I've heard this from a number of people like, should I feel guilty that I'm actually doing well in the pandemic? And... I mean, first of all, obviously, we are still in a global pandemic. There are people suffering and it's terrible in so many ways and we're making money and I can you know I felt this too like oh my goodness uh, how can I be doing well and other people aren't but 
actually, when I when you think about it, this is really important. If everybody is having a difficult time, then no one can help each other. And the best thing we can do is run a business well enough and make good money so we can pay our tax like for example I've just paid my personal tax my corporation tax uh, which come due and many people can't pay their tax this year and this by putting money back into the system by spending money in businesses local businesses online businesses we're helping keep people in jobs we're helping um, keep businesses running we're spending money and putting it back into the system is how this works we have to support each other you know giving money to food banks and doing as much as you can is really important and part of that is if you can make money during the global pandemic you should make money and then you know you can help others you can and I mean to me helping others includes just paying your taxes because a lot of that money does go out to people who need it it is one way that wealth is redistributed so certainly here in the UK. uh, And I know in other areas, money is being redistributed in a really good way to keep businesses and people afloat. So also remember, it's not just about that, your books help people. Reading for escape and entertainment, information, inspiration. And so your books help people in one way, um, your money can help people in another way. So please keep writing, keep selling, keep giving. Uh, Let's be grateful that we can be part of the silver lining of the pandemic and that book sales are a huge part of this silver lining. So yeah, Let's be grateful for it and not feel guilty. Also, ACX released an update this week. Remember hash Audible Gate? Well, it's still going on. ACX say, we have been hard at work building a new reporting system to reflect details on returns, including returned units by title. Starting March 2021, this data will be on your ACX dashboard. As of January the 1st, 2021, we are paying royalties on any return made more than seven days after purchase. We're also making our uh, contract more flexible, basically. So if you have do-it-yourself or pay-for-production titles, you can convert distribution from exclusive to non-exclusive after 90 days. So if you are not doing royalty split, you now have a chance to get out of your contract much earlier. So, you know, in the past, this was a seven-year contract that kind of unofficially you could get out of within a year, but now it's 90 days. So 90 days exclusivity followed by you can now go wide with audio. So I think that's uh, pretty good and a good start. These are good developments in the right direction, thanks to Susan May and the Fair Deal for Rights Holders and Narrators Group, including the Alliance of Independent Authors and other author organisations, all working hard to hold ACX to account for discrepancies in audio royalties. But as Susan May covers on her blog, this is not enough. She goes into much more detail of what else is needed, concluding, we at Fair Deal, the Fair Deal group, are working on the legal side, exploring every avenue, and we're researching a platform to sell our audiobooks away from Audible. And the Alliance of Independent Authors also sent an email round on this. We're sorry to report that there has been no progress on the substantive issue of this campaign, transparency of accounting, admission of unfairness and appropriate recompense. So I'm really pleased, you know, thank you again to the groups who are the people and the groups who are working on this very important uh, issue. Again, we're stronger together, which is 
fantastic. Of course, we do have many ways to sell our audiobooks away from Audible. And I do that. I've been doing it for years. Findaway Voices offers 41 other retailers that are not Audible. Like I actually had a question this week uh, on my Patreon private Q&A, which I do for Patreon supporters, that was, what is there a viable other option to Audible? And yes, the viable option is 41 other retailers. (laughs) and growing. You can also sell direct through Authors Direct through Find A Way, but also I use PayHip integrated with BookFunnel and I'm loving that and starting to make really good money. I mean, it, I'll probably report on that in a year's time because it's I've only really just started doing it. Um, but it, it, with a, a whole year's worth of data, probably this time next year, I'll be able to see what percentage of my revenue comes from direct audio. And But certainly you can make, I mean, in that Ilona Andrews, example they talk about the the percentage you can get as an indie like the the 70% or even the 50% depending on how you look at it with advertising costs but with selling direct you've already got those customers they're on your email list or your podcast listeners and uh, you're getting 90% 90% royalty which let's face it is the best. So yes, you do have a lot of options for your audiobooks uh, please remember that. And of course, if you wanted to buy any of my audiobooks direct, you can go to payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. And using the code lockdown, you can get 50% off uh, until we come out of lockdown, (laughs) which that code could be valid for a long time, given how things are here in the UK. Uh, Yes, moving on. So my personal update this week, if I had recorded this yesterday, this would have been a lot less jolly because <laughs> I was having just a dark time. But this morning we woke up to the world covered in snow and we don't get snow too often here. I put some pictures on my Instagram at Author, and I mean, really, realistically, we, we usually only get snow once a year or even less than that. Sometimes we don't even get snow. I'm in the southwest of the UK in, in Bath. And so I headed out on my own. Jonathan wanted to hang out here so I went out on my own before the sun rose and I had first footsteps in the fresh snow and there weren't many people around and it was just lovely and I was just happy took lots of pictures walked along the canal to the churchyard and it was fresh and clear and and the snow was almost creaking it was that creaking noise and people were smiling and and sort of there was laughter in the air and much happy shrieking on the hills as as I was walking back because the sun was up and people were out with their kids and their sleds and it was great and yeah this week has been really tough with lockdown and it's been so miserable and it all feels so monotonous it's like every day is exactly the same and we go on exactly the same walks and then today it was like a new world and the walk was the same walk I do so often and yet it looked completely different so I just really needed it I needed that break from the monotony for my mental health (laughs) and it was it was just beautiful so I wanted to say uh yeah I just had a good morning and that really really helps so I hope wherever you are you can break the monotony in some way and in fact 
I talked about this this week with Ros Morris, who's been on this show a number of times. She was on my Books and Travel podcast this week, talking about Not Quite Lost, Travels Without a Sense of Direction. And we talked about sort of seeing your own country or seeing your local area with new eyes and how to look differently at the small things and how travel doesn't have to be in some dramatic, exotic location. Uh, a travel episode for pandemic times indeed. And that's kind of how I felt this morning going out. It was like, wow, this is everything looks so different, covered in snow, you know, sort of the ugliest backyard that you that you pass or, um, you know, even a rubbish bin outside looks cool with snow on. So, yeah, I did go out and uh, have a good time this morning. And then I got back sort of before, even before 9am, I was out, went out sort of uh, half past seven before the sun came up and it was just lovely. And then uh, by the time I got home, the, 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 it started to, you know, be a bit more slushy and slidey and there were more people out. So I just feel like I got the best of the day. So happy times. Ah, I'm also still working on how to make a living with your writing third edition. It's just getting bigger and bigger. It's so funny because the, so the last edition, which was from 2017, was about 27,000 words. And I'm already now over 40,000 words, which, and I have more chapters. Like even the serial, serial, um, revenue, that wasn't, there were these serial platforms, but it wasn't really a serious prospect. And now that is on my list amongst loads of other things. I mean, uh, oh, I just, I feel very optimistic, actually. And having this new edition out is helping me look at things with new eyes as well. And that's exciting. So yeah, I also wanted to ask you if you would like to help me out with this book. I've decided I'm doing a survey, but you have to do it really quick. So it, you need to do it before the 31st of January 2021. So that is basically this week if you're listening to this when it goes out. And if you're listening in the future, well, you can get How to Make a Living with Your Writing, the third edition, which will contain insights from this survey. So if you make any money at all related to your writing, and that can be very tangentially as well. For example, if you do uh, consulting for writers, I'm counting things like that. You can do the survey and be in to win a consulting session with me on Zoom, redeemable anytime in the next year. And of course, I don't do consulting anymore uh, for money. I only do it very occasionally for things like this. So thecreativepen.com forward slash money survey 21 thecreativepen.com forward slash money survey 21 and it's it it's not asking about um amounts it's just about the different kinds so yes please do the survey and help me out with making sure i get everything into this book I also wanted to mention, if you haven't heard it, I hope you have, but uh, listen to Amanda Gorman performing The Hill We Climb at the inauguration of President Biden. And that was the highlight of my week before it snowed. I, I seriously, I, I had a difficult week. And when I watched her perform, uh, and she's a performance poet, obviously a poet, but poets perform. And uh, it's just wonderful. And again, ray of hope, really. Such a wonderful young person doing wonderfully and you can pre-order her book of that poem and also her other poetry and what is lovely is how people have really embraced what she's doing and I certainly I didn't watch any any of the rest of the inauguration <laughs> I'm not an American <laughs> surprise but I was very uh I was thrilled to watch that so yeah absolutely recommend that 
In useful stuff this week, wanted to shout out to the Six Figure Author Podcast, episode 73. Great show on what to do if you're not making a profit from your books. And uh, Lindsay, um, Joe and Andrea give some tough love, that's for sure. But it's very useful and realistic. And uh, I certainly uh, found it interesting. So yeah, Six Figure Authors, you can look for that on your podcast app. Also, another podcast this week, the Ask Ally podcast with uh, Orna Ross and Sasha Black talked about nine characteristics of a successful self-publishing mindset. And as time goes on, I see the importance of mindset more and more and more. And not just for things like dealing with the pandemic, but also for our author journey, for our writing confidence, for selling, for marketing, for long-term business if you if you can sort out your mindset things change they really do so definitely have a listen to that that if you just um search ask ally a l l i on your podcast app um or search orna ross o r n a r o s s you'll find that podcast so thanks for your thoughtful comments and tweets and emails about the shows in the last week with Yuda on writing with AI and my conversation with Len Edgerly, which came out as an in-betweenisode uh, this week. Um, Patricia Biniek on YouTube said that that was an amazing interview with Yuda. I would like to give it three thumbs up. <laughs> Thank you so much. Liam Murray said, Joanna, you have spoiled me. I've gone from being wary of AI to wanting a VR headset with a friendly GPT-3 bot I can riff ideas with in an immersive Shakespeare and Co. setting in a week. I'm now impatiently waiting for my AI buddy to show up and help me with my next book. <laughs> oh, thanks, Leah. I'm so excited to hear you think that... Um, Ayal Pincus said, I tried Markov chains on existing text with amusing results, but I hadn't considered applying that to generating worlds, characters, weather conditions. Clever idea. Great thoughts on potential solutions to the copyright issue. Thank you for the great interview. I learned something. So really happy with that. And finally, thank you to Tori Element, who sent a some awesome pictures. 20 degrees, 10 miles, the Creative Pen podcast and three moves awesome <laughs> really cool pictures so uh, you can leave me a comment on youtube or on the podcast show notes uh, at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast just pick the episode you can tweet me at the creative pen and uh, i love to hear from you and always love to see pictures of where you're listening to the show so thank you for that so today's show is sponsored by findawayvoices.com and given the latest update from ACX, as I mentioned earlier, this is a great fit. It's time to take back your freedom and go wide with your audio, control your prices, sell direct and more. So why use Findaway? Well, they distribute to the world's largest network of audiobook retailers and libraries. Your audiobook can be in Audible, Apple Books, Google Play, Kobo Audio, Barnes & Noble, Scribd, Storytel, amongst others, 43 at last count, plus library systems, or including library systems like Hoopla and Bibliotheca. And you can tell your readers to go check out your books for free at the library. And yes, you should be able to get my ebooks and audiobooks for free from your library or request them from your librarian. You also have access to Chirp Books and BookBub Audio Advertising, which I have found is a great way to sell more audio 
audiobooks. I actually have a chirp deal this week for Map of Shadows. Plus, you can use Authors Direct in some markets to sell direct on an app with great quality. Findaway can also help you create professional audiobooks. If you already have your files, you can upload them and distribute them as I do with my nonfiction. But Findaway can also help you find the best narrator and work through the process of production. They help me find my perfect narrator, Charlie Sanderson, for my Mapwalker trilogy, which is out now on the usual platforms. I put a, I did a questionnaire about the books. They gave me lots of samples, which was, was awesome. And I listened to all the samples and uh, with transparent pricing, so I would know how much it would cost. And I'm super happy with the process. I now use them to work with existing narrators and upload my own self-published, self-narrated audiobooks. Findaway is an integral part of my publishing ecosystem. And even if you have gone exclusive with ACX in the past, you can now go wide within that 90 days as long as it's not royalty split. And uh, Findaway even have a template letter you can use to take your audiobooks wide. Now, you guys know I only work with podcast sponsors who I actively use and ethically can promote and recommend myself. I love Findaway. I hope you know I am an epic fan. <laughs> so take back your audio freedom and check out findawayvoices.com today. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating this show is sponsored by my lovely patrons. Thanks to new and um, returning patrons in the last week, Betsy Horvath, Gary Swaby, Thomas Fruman, Jesse Clever, Guy Windsor and Lyndon Anlazark. Thank you so much to everyone and everyone who's been supporting the show for months and years. uh, You are all wonderful. And this week I did put out that extra Q&A audio, which... uh, you get if you're a patron and uh, I really do answer your questions in an honest way and share personal stuff behind the scenes so you can support the show at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen right let's get into the interview We're going to get into the topic now, which is our lessons learned from author setbacks, failures and mistakes. So we're just going to start with some definitions. So Orna, what do you mean by these words? Well, a failure, I think, a creative failure is when you set a goal or creative intention and it doesn't actually go the way you intended it to go. And that can be through a setback or a mistake. So, for example, your first book doesn't make you a millionaire, which some <gasps> uh, authors, yes, I know, but I, you'd be shocked by how many authors think it will. Um, or you read back your book and you're shocked to find that it's full of errors, maybe. Your editor wasn't a good hire. Um, you think a series will take you, this is mine, you think a series will take a year to do and five years later it still hasn't arrived um, so that's failures setbacks is when you expect something to happen and it doesn't but for an outside reasons or a change to your conditions so say covid would be the perfect example obviously this year and all that happens stops your travels can't do what you normally do an unexpected death or illness in the family something you've a business partner who lets you down that will be a setback so the idea is it's outside of you it's other people mistakes or something you do yourself comes from inside you could be conscious or unconscious but essentially you do something that you really shouldn't have done and you have to drop or reverse your original intention choosing the wrong tool or tech doing an ad campaign that leaves you out of pocket a bad hire those kinds of things they're mistakes and I think the most important thing to say about all of the above is that they are learning fuel mm, yeah and also that 
I like the way you've defined these things because I don't even like the word failure. I feel like failure is a bad thing, has negative connotations. And at the time, all of these things can feel awful. And we've all been through many of these things. And certainly we all, the, the COVID panic, that fear we all felt earlier in the year, that kind of dulls a little over time. <laughs> but the, the we all go through these things, but I don't like the word failure because it sounds so negative. Whereas I try and reframe all of these things as how can I learn and go forward and move forward and do better in the future because we we only progress by learning and we can do all the podcasts we do and all the books we do and uh, but people still make the same mistakes we do <laughs> and when we continue to make the same mistakes so that's just life anything else before we actually get into the details yes i think that is the most important point that sort of creative failure becomes fodder for success so the creative way to deal with failure is what can I learn from this? Where where did it go wrong specifically? How do I make sure, especially the ones that we keep making over and over? Um, there comes a point that you absolutely, and the sooner that point comes, the better. And sometimes we just do keep making the same mistakes again. And in, in order to develop um, your creative business, in order to develop your books as well, and how you write and what you write, you need to grow as a person. And that's the role of these mistakes and failures. They often come as little kind of pebbles, first of all. And then if you don't listen, it becomes like a, a big stone and then it's a rock and then it's a great big boulder. And at some point you have to take the learning. If you can do it while it's still a pebble, that's good. You can't always, though. But you've got to take it and not allow yourself to be crushed by it. That's the point. It, don't let it lead. You reshape and reframe it. And it is in the act of doing that that you grow as a person, as a writer, as a publisher and as a business owner. And that's why it's so very important. And I think why it's why we're doing this show and why it's really important for us as authors to share our failures and our mistakes, because there's so much smoke and mirrors in publishing. You see the success. You see the person who's done really well. People don't tend to talk enough, I think, about the things that go wrong in the background. So, yeah, that's what we're here to do. Be real. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just on the lessons learned, it comes down to that know thyself from the Greek temple of Delphi. Every single mistake you make, if you can learn something more about yourself, it's going to help you next time. So we're going to talk about some of the big stuff, like the really, really big epic fails. <laughs> Let's just call them epic fails. And then we'll get into some of the more granular stuff, which people might definitely recognise. So I'm going to start because... I have a particularly epic fail on both a business level, a financial level and a personal level. So back in, I, oh, I can't remember what year it was, like 2002, I was living in New Zealand. I was married for the first time to a scuba dive instructor and a boat skipper. And I was an IT consultant. And basically, I was like, let's start a scuba diving business. What a great idea. That'd be a really good thing to do. And without, without knowing anything, I'm an action orientated person, you know this. So as soon as I have an idea I'm like do it it was a highly paid consultant so we went into it we set up hiring a, a boat equipment scuba diving equipment insurance marketing staff not just a skipper but you know dive masters fuel the cost of fuel and New Zealand weather is really up and down so essentially 
we ended up have we did have a business for about a month, <laughs> which uh, was incredibly expensive. And also, then my husband <laughs> left me <laughs> for a scuba diving, another scuba diving instructor. And I'm there's no blame. We're not going to go into marriage issues, but the fact is that this failure of knowing myself in so many ways led to costing me in so many ways. But the positive and upside of this failure is what I learned is I never want to have a business that is dependent on weather, is dependent on the uh, price of fuel, the vagaries of employees, on my husband not being reliable, on high fixed costs and crazy variable costs and risk. Scuba diving is a risky business. It was dependent on a physical location and everything about my business now, which is actually a highly successful business, is due to to that failure. I learned that I wanted to have low costs, low fixed, low variable costs. I wanted to be location independent. I wanted to have no employees, no physical assets. I didn't need to insure a boat or people potentially dying. And so that epic failure shaped my business now. And the failure of my first marriage led to my wonderful second marriage uh, to Jonathan. And the lessons I learned about myself in that marriage helped me with this one. So I'm grateful for those those mistakes and what I learned has meant that I'm more successful now because of learning those lessons. And I don't talk about this stuff that much, but I wanted to, before we get into, oh, my cover design was a bit crap. I wanted to go with the biggest epic fail that led to possibly my biggest success. Fantastic. Well, I think that was quick learning because I've heard so many people say that it's on their third business that things actually go, it often takes number three and that whole thing of third time lucky. I too had an epic business fail back in the early 2000s, but I'm not going to repeat that because it was in many ways a similar sorts of lessons that you're talking about. Mine was within publishing and the failure was because the business partner kind of uh, arrangement that didn't work out. But I learned a huge amount in that also about what I did and did not want from a business. And at the time, the the kinds of things that I said I wanted weren't even really available. And it was the the want and the desire came before the means, which only really came with digital self-publishing. My biggest mistake, I think, is one and one that I still I wanted to talk about a mistake that there is a tendency to keep on making. And for me, it would be a tendency to overwork. And that led me in my 40s into burnout, really. Not that I felt was burnt out, but I had I hit a cancer wall, which a lot of people who overwork do. It's a common kind of personality sort of thing. And are they related? Who knows? You can't say for sure. But certainly what I do know that the lessons that I learned then I carried forward hugely and connected to overwork, I always think is a kind of an under an undervaluing of the self. And I think we see that hugely in the author community where we undervalue our work. We, we don't read contracts. We give ourselves away. We, we don't charge appropriately. We don't set up the business in a way that's actually going to be profitable. There are so many ways in which we can undervalue ourselves. And I think that's very related to 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 this tendency. Yeah, it basically comes down to the idea of net worth and self-worth being in some way equivalent. And for me, 
coming out of that was very much it's why I invest so much time still in the whole idea of planning and and creative planning, the kind of planning that works for me because I can't do very rigid, mechanised, what normally people think of when they think of planning. And I think that's why I'm still so connected to it because it is very connected to those mistakes that I tended to make. So now I have it much more ordered. I understand the value of creative rest and creative play and how vital they are, not just to the job and to to the work, but to having a good life and all of that. So, Hmm. yeah, that's my Well, I just just come come back on that because I think also we can learn from each other because we're very different people. We're good friends, but we're very different people and we do things in very different ways. And yeah, even like last week, when clearly I've been overworking (laughs) I really have been like I did a hundred hour week or something and I got to that point where I just want to throw everything in and I've talked to you about this many times over the years and you've said to me many times you just rest duh (laughs) you don't have to cancel everything and just burn the whole bridges down you can just take a rest and so yeah I have been I, I sleep a lot so I haven't been sleeping like 10 or 11 hours a night for the last few days and so but I hear you talking to me in my head obviously (laughs) when um when I hit these points because of the lesson you learned so I definitely had reached burnout in my corporate job back in the year 2000 so I have experienced that but I feel like we can learn these lessons from each other and in the community we can share these lessons and hopefully avoid I hope I don't have to learn that same lesson again as you did obviously (laughs) exactly that's what it's all about isn't it getting it if you don't give yourself the time to actually observe what's going on with the mistake if you just go from ah and you recoil and you throw yourself into action again without absorbing what it actually means there is there is a kind of danger in that and then there's the opposite i think mistake if it's if it can be called that it's not it's not really it doesn't really fall into failure itself like or mistake as such but it is something that happens which is that you can't it's the opposite to overwork is that you can't get going. You're overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that's coming at you or you can't and you can't integrate it or you just can't get going. There's kind of a, a inability to, to work analysis paralysis. Maybe you're just, you know, that feeling of being caught in the headlights and not being able to do anything. And I think the, the recipe is actually quite similar. It is still to rest and play, step away and then absorb what's being said of what what is actually going on for you. Because I think we talk a huge amount in, in the indie community about the outer surface stuff, the sales and the what's going on when it's going well, or even if it's not going well, or I didn't get my words out. It's very often at that level of production that we're talking and thinking. But there's all that deeper stuff that we tend to connect just with our writing, but it's actually very connected to our publishing and our business as well. And yeah, the more you can get to know yourself in whatever activity you're doing that you're not happy about, it's that inner voice that tells you, er, I'm, o- I'm overworking or that business partner isn't really working out, but you just ignore it and you keep on going and going. Uh, that's where the mistake turns into the epic fail. The epic fail, yeah. And just on setbacks, since you mentioned that kind of freezing, I would say that paralysis, I definitely experienced that this year with COVID. And I think a lot of people have and I know people who are still in paralysis in that freeze 
mode, which has a lot to do with obviously the fear and very valid health concerns that people have. But so I wanted to just recognize that sometimes that freeze is a response to fear. And we all have to find ways to get beyond that. And I think uh, for me, it was about three weeks back in March, April. And I talked to our mutual friend, Mark McGuinness, who really helped me shift my mindset, because that's what it was for me. It was shifting my mindset to move out of that fear and freeze mode into back into action. And but that understand, I learned a lot about myself through that, because I never thought I was was that person who would be stopped by fear and and I was and so I've now experienced that so if anyone else is feeling that setback there are ways to get through that there are any of these things and I guess as you're saying the first thing is be gentle with yourself and take that step back and learn things and then move back into it I think fear is really it this is the core thing for everything we're talking about here almost all the mistakes we make are as a result of being afraid of something, afraid that we won't get the book out in time, afraid that we look like an idiot if we if such and such doesn't. It is some fear that is is generally driving us to make a mistake, and then with the setbacks, the stuff that comes from outside, it's the fear of that and the sense that it has more power than you have. And I think you said the most important thing of all, actually, there when you spoke about talking to Mark, is get help talk to somebody who can actually help you. Don't just sit there um, feeling that it is inevitable or framing. We can be really brilliant at creating excuses and explanations and causes and reasons as to why we are where we are. We can be intensely creative about that rather than getting our creative juices going on the books. So yeah, getting help, the help you need and the right kind of help, I think is really important. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about some more common, although I think all those things are common, but these are super common things that people do in self-publishing. And these are definitely mistakes. I'm going to start with one of my biggest mistakes again, or on the small scale, my biggest little mistakes. And that is I wrote my first nonfiction book when I was living in Australia. This was between 2006, 2008. So this was before the Kindle went mainstream. Smashwords was around. You could only publish in the US on the Kindle. And so so I, I decided to self-publish. I was in the speaking community and everyone did it in the speaking community. So I wrote the book and I worked with a local printer and I paid upfront for 2000 copies of my book which was called How to Enjoy Your Job or Find a New One, my catchy title, my first book. I was, and there's a picture I have of me standing there in front of all these boxes in our living room. And I'm, I'm so proud of this. Look at all this. And it was about 15 minutes before I realised that I had 2000 books in my living room. <laughs> and my wonderful husband was so supportive. But of course, what I realised after about 15 minutes was how do I get them out my living room into the hands of other people? Like, how do you do that? And the classic mistake of thinking that you publish it and they will come. And this is something we see every single day in the community. 
and all authors, in fact, think that writing the book is the end of it. And in fact, it's just the beginning. So I did. And then I was like, right, I must get in the paper and get on TV. And thus I did those things. I was on national TV in Australia. I was in the papers all over the country. And I sold 200 copies (laughs) of my book and 1800 copies went to the landfill about a year later. And because then I learned about digital publishing, I learned about blogging, online marketing. So again, that mistake, which cost me probably, let's say about 5,000 Aussie dollars, that cost me plus the design and stuff like that. But again, that mistake led me into learning about blogging, podcasting, online publishing, online marketing, and has underpinned making way more money than I ever spent. So again, that mistake led to success. Brilliant. Personally, I think you should have kept the 1800. They could be collector's items now. You could flog them for uh, my mistake. Well, they're still all secondhand on Amazon. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yes, of course. Very good. Yeah, and I think the linked into that and an important thing that I see all the time and that I I tried myself when I started out with this was the idea that you could it's linked to that that you could get somebody else to market your book for you. It's the question I probably ask most often every week is who does book marketing for you and it that's not something that an indie author can do until you know how to do it yourself then you're in a position to hire somebody else. When you don't know how to market books and trying to hire somebody doesn't work out and I know that because I tried to hire a few people along the way and it just was an absolute um, complete waste of money so yeah that's just coming in on the back of yours but my mistake that I wanted to talk about uh, was I I know a lot of authors have previously published work so people who have already published with another publisher an indie publisher or a trade publisher somewhere along the line And then they get your files back and you put it back out there again and you think it's fine. But on the way, you make a few little changes. So that's what I did with mine. But I thought it's been edited already and I just made some small changes. It's fine. And I put it back out. And of course, it hadn't. The changes I made hadn't been edited. And the uh, reviews are there too and will be there till my dying day. Um, So, yeah. I think that was a big, that was a big mistake. And I think undervaluing editing, that's why I'm bringing this one up. I think undervaluing editing is a mistake that every single author makes at the start. You don't understand how important it is to to get a professional edit. You think your stuff, you're too close to it. You think you're, you're good on the grammar and you're good on the this and that. It's all completely irrelevant. Every single author needs, and I know it's expensive when you're starting out and all of that, but I just wanted to double, triple underline that one it's always a mistake to forego the editing and it's always a good thing to get the best editing you can afford absolutely and unfortunately no maybe not always but you will often spend the most money on editing at the beginning like I I went I think I hired four different editors for my first novel Pentecost which became Stone of Fire because you just learn so much but yeah we still both of us use editors and they're just fantastic and you just get better every time okay so I've got another one which is (laughs) rip-offs 
So again, when you when nobody knows who you are, winding back again to 2008, I had no website, no audience, no online sales. There was no Amazon KDP print. CreateSpace, I think, hadn't been bought yet. It was still a separate company, all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, how do I get people to notice this book? And so it was along with doing the PR and stuff. I paid for a chapter in a compilation book. And these this scam is still around now. Now, it, it is not a scam to have a chapter in a book that is a good book. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There are lots of anthologies. I've got short stories in anthologies. I've written essays for nonfiction books. That's not what I mean. This was a classic pay $3,000 and we'll just put your chapter into this book and we'll put a famous name on the front who they just got a chapter from them too. And I'm not going to mention names. Uh, this was over a decade, but I still see these things out now. And again, what was the point? And then, of course, the deal is that you end up buying 500 copies of that book. So it looks like it's successful, whereas actually all the people in the book, the book, and then try and flog it. And again, they end up in the landfill. And I see this issue. And also I paid for a review and not on a bad site. This is, again, a site that is still reputable. But again, what does that do? That does absolutely nothing. So you end up paying these chunks of money, like hundreds of dollars, thousands, of dollars, pounds for things that don't actually get you anywhere. Whereas what you should be doing is paying for better cover design, better editing. Those are the things to pay for, not paid reviews, paid compilation books. Yeah. And I like to say that a lot of allies work goes into pointing out good services and bad services. And when you start out at the beginning, you can't actually tell the difference. You just don't know. And as you say, there are some big brand names that are associated with some services that are really not great. If you are in doubt, and especially if you're at the beginning and you're not sure what's a good service, what's a bad service, um, John Doppler's book, Choosing uh, the Best Self-Publishing Services, is an ally guide that will help you. And if you're an ally member, you can download it, the ebook version, free in the member zone, just go to guidebooks. It's really important. It, that guide will also teach you how to evaluate a service, whether it is a decent service or not, because that's at the beginning. It's impossible, actually, because Google as well really doesn't help because most of the services that are popping up at the top of your search engine are actually not great. So not all, but certainly there are some terrible services that will come up if you Google self-publishing advice or yeah, be yeah, careful. Can I- Yes. Please. Can I just add on that is the date on your search is really important to always use this the date. You even you and I people could listen to conversations with you and I from even three years ago, even one year ago. And there are companies, for example, you mentioned uh, one earlier, ACX, who a year ago, we would have been like, yay, great. And now we're like, caution. And, and this is and they've got me on their homepage. And so this is the thing we if there are companies that we would have talked about personally years ago or on my website or on the ally website that are you know we cannot police our history on the internet a lot of the time so please uh, everyone uh, check that is it is a recent thing that people are using also people regularly use quotes from me and my book and probably you as well on their websites even when we've got nothing to do with it 
And again, we might not know. Both of us welcome emails saying, just checking, did you really recommend that service? Do you still recommend that service? Because I think that's important too, isn't it? Things change and what was great suddenly might not be great. Absolutely. And some of those rogue services are pretty unscrupulous. So Ally approved partner badges turn up all over the internet (laughs) on (laughs) services that are absolutely appalling. So always check our actual listings to make sure that somebody is an approved service because, yeah. You can't be sure. That can happen. Tell us about your book cover disaster. Oh yes, my book cover. Um, now I've changed my covers lots on lots of my mm. on lots of my books across the years. I'm not talking about when you're due a refresh or when your branding changes or when everything begins to look different. I'm just talking about just getting it wrong because and and this is the mistake that I made that I see people making too literal about what's in the book rather than trying to convey the emotion of the book. So it was Blue Mercy. It was one of my my standalone novel and it's a mother-daughter story. And I went for a picture of the mother and the daughter on the book. And the daughter in my book is overweight and surly and all of that. And I went for somebody who looked, Jane, my brilliant cover designer who works with you as well, did everything that I asked for and gave me exactly what I wanted. And it was terrible. It was a terrible cover in terms of it did not sell because nobody won. Such a good book, by the way. (laughs) Great book. Terrible cover. I remember it. It was just nobody wants a book with an unattractive, surly person on the front of it on that cover. Kind of book, so now it has Jane did the re the redo for me, and it just has this woman tastefully disappearing into the rain with an umbrella over her, conveying the, the emotional tenor of the book. So that is the mistake with your book. Don't worry if your heroine on her big night out has a blue dress, and the the cover has a lady in a red dress. That's not important. Does it actually get the emotional feeling of the book, and does it match the genre? Is is it contemporary? Will it look right when set beside comparable books? They're the things to to think about. Yes, so it that mistake it didn't last long as I watched the sales plummet. <laughs> But that, that what's great about that issue is that it's easily fixed. Although I, we say easily fixed, both of us, like I've got their desecration. That's my third group of covers for those books. I still don't really understand what those books are. Really difficult sometimes, especially as independent authors, but don't think that traditional publishing gets it right. There's frequent recoverings of books and retitlings and re-author namings. So it's not just us. This is a regular, and let's call it, yeah, it's like a little mistake that's easily fixed. And related to that, another issue around branding, and this is perhaps, again, not valuing ourselves enough or not thinking big enough, but I set up, inevitably set up a website called howtoenjoyyourjob.com, which I don't own anymore. Don't go there. It's like a Chinese site now. But setting up a website around your first book... is another classic mistake. So you think, oh, I just need to set up the URL for my book. And like, miraculously, that's going to mean anything these days with multi-millions of websites out there. It really doesn't matter that much. Like you do SEO, search engine optimization in other ways. But you actually, what you have to do is think bigger. So it took me three more websites <laughs> before I settled on the creativepen.com. And of course, I own tons of websites now because I have loads of them. But it's thinking about about branding around your theme, like the creative pen, but it's also my name, pen, obviously, and you've got ornaross.com. And 
in the end, most of us settle on branding by name. So jfpen.com, my fiction name, because inevitably you end up writing more books. And if you only have one book, then you're just not going to do this. Generally, you're not going to do this as a career or you've got other things like speaking or other things. But so what I would say is that's the mistake. The mistake is building a website on the name of your first book. Very common. And Facebook pages also people do. Yes. And then they end up with three or four Facebook Eight, pages. 800 with, of with them. <laughs> and their audience completely dispersed. And yeah, yeah, name, get, getting the name at first. And then another one, another mistake that I have made that I, I see other people making too is bad hires. So not being careful enough in turn, being in a hurry again, afraid it won't come out, that fear that, oh, it won't be done in time. So just going on Upwork or wherever and just getting somebody that seems Upwork is great if you take the time. What, I'm, what it really needs, what I'm trying to say is the mistake is hiring without due diligence, without really taking your time and working out. You will save so much time in the end rather than hiring somebody who is not great. Now, sometimes there's nothing you can do up front. But the mistake I'm talking about that I have made and that I've seen many people make is taking on an editor too quickly, taking on any higher and not really going into it and yeah Chris Ducker's book is good on this I mm, think very good um, mm. I forget the name of it do you recall the name offhand I think it's called virtual assistance or something yeah, like something that like virtual assistant yeah. or virtual outsourcing or something like that but I think you're right and actually I learned from Chris there like I'm classic mistake I just want another me just give me one person who can be me and I can give them stuff but that's not you, you that's not how it works you have to have lots of people doing their individual things and I think that bad hire you almost have to do one because you have to learn how to let someone go and that's awful but you have to do it and you end up going oh, I'm really sorry look I'm so sorry it's my fault like I did all of that and it's now now I'm a lot harder about this is exactly what I want and we have a trial period and I'm doing it right now actually with somebody new and just said look no nothing personal we just have a trial period and then see how it goes yeah. friendly happy <laughs> it's really important because sometimes it's not even about the skills it's about the fish yeah. somebody that I ha- had to part ways with it she was really good at her job but we just every time I got an email from her I, I was feeling tense and anxious because she was she was the boss of me <laughs> and I was felt I was running around to give her things and she kept coming up with suggestions and stuff like that so she was actually overqualified for the job which is something also you find a lot in publishing people mm. and also people who want to be writers who are not actually devoted and dedicated to what they actually do they're writers who are doing something on, I'm not saying that writers there are people who both write and provide a service and they're excellent. But um, there are also people who really want to be writers and who are doing a bit of editing on the side and who aren't fully qualified, who think because they have written a book that it gives them the, the skills to be an editor and it doesn't and, and so on all the way through. Mm. The only way is, yeah, probably is make that mistake and find out. But if you can, yeah, we will put Chris's book in the show notes so you can actually take a look at that if you're thinking of yeah, hiring someone great soon. Book. Yeah, great. Before we finish, we also just wanted to acknowledge that sometimes it might not even be a, a mistake, but it's something that we need to stop doing and give up. 
So these are things. So I'm going to say for me, I co-wrote three sweet romance books with my mum as Penny Appleton. And I really wanted to help my mum start a new career. I did it with the best intentions. I, I did help her co-write those three books of which we are proud but at the end of the day Orna will remember this I'm like I hate this I'm not a sweet romance I'm like dark fantasy like graveyards and stuff Uh, we're just so different me and my mum in that way we're very similar in other ways but so I had to and it was terrible conversation I felt I had all the heart palpitations I had to go to her and say mum I can't do this anymore I cannot write this it's not my thing and but in the end we had a really good conversation and we now think about it she's been on my podcast and we talked about it in public if anyone wants to hear that conversation so now she's written two more entirely on her own and she's now off riding her own bike I helped her onto the tandem for a bit and now she's off riding her bike but I had to let that go it wasn't a mistake it was just I had to stop doing it for my own mental health and before we killed each other so that was one of those things what about you yeah mine is a more generic thing of a project that just didn't come together so and again it it was born out of that mistake I talked about earlier of underestimating the time and undervaluing my own time and all the other things I was doing and not planning carefully enough and the tendency to take on too much. So I wanted to do a non-fiction series on the creative process and how it is used not just in in writing but in life and how there is an equivalence there as a, a uniform process that works throughout. And it came to me as a seven book series and I got the covers done and I put it out there and I thought because it was all there and it still is all there. But for some reason that series has just never come together for me and it's just the worst thing about it is it's a terrible breach of trust with your readers who are interested and express their interest and sign up for your emails and all of that and then you don't deliver it's horrible what I will say is I kept on trying I kept on trying I kept on trying and then earlier this year you said to me maybe just let it go (laughs) stop so I did. And the relief, I cannot even begin to tell you. So when you let something go that isn't working, I kept delaying rather than deleting. And when I pressed the delete button, it was such a relief. Now what I've done is taken a whole load of that stuff and put it in an author-based planning schedule, which is all there and working really well for me and have a lovely creative planning workshop now set up with authors and able to work on that and and put it out there in that much smaller, more contained, tiny, focused way. And that focus feels fabulous. I'm really absolutely loving it. So sometimes we tend to say, okay, I'll delay it. I'll do it later. But just deleting, I think, is a tremendous relief. And I think we're all probably carrying projects around pet projects that maybe pressing delete might be a good thing to do. Yeah, and that circles right back to what we said at the beginning around knowing yourself and trusting that intuition is right. And maybe sometimes it takes a friend to remind you of that. And that can really help too. 
But so people listening, just thinking back over your author career, or even your personal life, if you want to take it in a bigger sense, take some time to reflect on mistakes, failures, setbacks, and consider what you learn from them, and how they've played a part in your success. Even as we, I don't know, I'm reframing the pandemic year, obviously, some terrible things have happened and are still happening, but we can't live in that depression all the time. It's like, how can we reframe this? What are the brilliant things that are going to come out of this year? And there are so many things that are happening because of the pandemic. So I think that's part of it too. How can we reframe what might have been difficult at the time into something positive for our future? So anything else, Orna, before we finish up? Just to finish on that, Michelle has given us a nice quote and she thinks it's Nelson Mandela. He said, I never lose or said, I never lose. I either win or learn. So I think that's that's our theme. So thank you to Michelle for that quote absolutely that is our creative intention So I hope you found the discussion with me and Orna interesting today and that you can take some time to reflect on your failures, mistakes and setbacks and consider how you can learn from them and turn them into the seeds of success. As ever, feel free to leave a comment or tweet me or let me know about any of them and your lessons learned. And if you're still in the middle of one of these and you're going, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to do better? Well, remember you can learn and move on next time. You can always find Orna and I every month on the Ask Ally podcast where we do the advanced self-publishing salon and uh, as you've heard it's more of a discussion on various big questions of the indie author journey. So next week I have an interview with Sarah Painter on Stop Worrying, Start Selling, Change Your Author Mindset which we only just recorded a few days ago and I loved it so much. I loved our discussion and I know it will inspire you to think more creatively about your author career and how you consider marketing as well as ambition. Sarah talks about her journey through writing and traditional publishing and going indie and it's great to see how much she has grown in creative and business confidence and sharing all her thoughts and I know you're going to find it useful. So in the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.